Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, Decon 101. I'm Michelle Brown. I'm Emily Danko. And I'm Monica Elvin. And we are also joined by the brilliant Candace Hopkins, who is serving as our producer extraordinaire again. So today on Decon 101, we are diving into a conversation on the social construction of beauty. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about like nipple piercings and stuff like that today. I'm really excited. Oh, gosh, that we just <laughs> really just went right there, Emily. Thank you for that. So, yes, keep listening because Emily's apparently going to talk about nipple piercings. But hold up because we're going to get there. Um, <laughs> but um, but we are just so excited to dive into this topic with you all. Um, we also have a special guest that will be joining us to offer her unique perspective on beauty. Uh, But before we get to our interview, as we always do, we want to ground ourselves into some historical context of beauty and its evolution as a social construct. And as Emily kind of already primed y'all, we have some some juicy uh, things to discuss with you. So before I hand it over to Emily to jump into that uh, history of beauty, we are going to take a quick commercial break and we will be back in just a minute. At Spokane Treatment and Recovery Services, we are dedicated to our community. That is why we have a sobering unit that runs 24-7 and is the first step into our detox unit. We are fully staffed around the clock in order to make sure that we can answer any questions over the phone while we serve our clientele. For more information or to call any time, day or night, you can dial 509-570-7255. So just jumping right into the history of beauty, it's super exciting and extremely interesting. Um, we're going to go back to uh, 2,400 years ago in Greece, and because that, that's really when we had a lot of visual representation and we started to see more of like a unified vision of beauty. Before then, you know, we didn't really, we had societies, but it was a little bit harder for us to figure out, like, what are the societal versions of beauty back then? So Greece is when we really start to be able to figure out, okay, this is what everyone thinks is beautiful at that time. So in Greece, this is really interesting, you needed to, like, couple your beauty with virtues, otherwise you weren't considered to be a truly beautiful person. So if you think about the story of Narcissus, he's a guy who was extremely beautiful. Everyone recognized him as being super, super good looking, but he was really dumb and he fell in love with his reflection and died. So really he wasn't that beautiful of a person because he didn't have that virtue of intelligence to go with it. Um, wow. The, yeah, the Greeks also had this idea of beauty as being very rational and proportional. So there was a lot of math going on at that time. And so a lot of the ideas of beauty had to do with math and proportion and proper ratios and things like that, which I thought was really interesting. Also, good news for everyone who doesn't like to pluck their eyebrows, unibrows were also considered to be very beautiful during Greek times. So that's phenomenal. I know. Imagine that. No waxing. Monica, what do you think about that? No oh tweezing. God. Well, just thinking about like the, the amount of money that goes into hair removal these days. Ugh. 
What a time to be alive. And the time. I think yesterday I was still kind of quarantining and I spent like 30 minutes doing my eyebrows yesterday because I had kind of neglected them. So I was kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Well, see, now um, we just have people of- like shaving them off and redrawing them or tattooing them on. I'm almost like, you know what? I get that. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. So then we can fast forward to the Renaissance. The Renaissance was very similar to the Greek times. Um, we had paintings by Raphael and Botticelli and Leonardo da Vinci. And there's more of like a, a beauty that's focused on maternity and like seriousness and mystery. So you think of the Mona Lisa, she doesn't smile. And so there's kind of like this mystery to her and she has this stern look on her face and that was considered to be beautiful at the time. Um, then you fast forward again to England, you started to see more like newspapers and things like that. So you could see representations of famous women at the time. Elizabeth I was really, really prominent at that time. She was a strong female figure and she wanted, she was kind of like this guide for everybody's kind of beauty. And so, uh, people used to make this kind of paste called a Venita Ceruse, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it was made of white lead that people used to be paler, just like her. And then people would also dye their hair red to look like her. And then they would pluck their eyebrows and have these like really really thin eyebrows which is really interesting um victorian era you needed to be both seductive and innocent so hence and this is when like (laughs) nipple piercings started to be more prominent (laughs) it all comes back (laughs) exactly this is where the nipple piercings come in um and it was like not just women too it was men as well there's like this theory you know historians who were kind of like more prudish were like oh they thought it helped with breastfeeding that's why they pierced their nipples no it was a fashion statement for men and women um exactly and it kind of like got into the being both seductive and innocent kind of mindset um so you know there there was that you you could be seductive privately but not everybody had to know that you had your nipples pierced it was kind of like this fun little secret um just a little taboo exactly but it wasn't really taboo because everyone was doing it um (laughs) and then also in the victorian era there was kind of this knowledge that cosmetics were dangerous because they you know, had been using white lead as face paint, but then they were like, oh, you know, that's not good for us. And they didn't want to use too many cosmetics because they didn't want to be associated with prostitutes. So instead they drank vinegar, ate chalk or used arsenic in order to make themselves paler. So it was kind of this like more quote natural beauty. (laughs) So I like to think that you know, from the lead face paint and the drinking arsenic and taking, you know, the putting arsenic on your face. I like to think that's where the term drop dead gorgeous comes from (laughs) because, you know, you would die. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting, Emily. I was reading an article about like the, the term like mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all. Mm -hmm. And like the term fair uh, at the time, which, you know, is could be understood as like synonymous with beauty, you know, fairest, but also how that is deeply connected with, you know, the aesthetic of light skin and paleness mm-hmm. and 
uh, that being an ideal beauty standard of the time. And so anyway, that just made me think of what you're describing. Yeah, it's the history of beauty is so toxic, you know, not just like mentally, because you think about like mental illnesses kind of getting into like what's going on now. But you think about, you know, how deadly it used to be to be considered beautiful. I mean, even in the 1920s, if you have ever looked up or, or known about the history of like radiation poisoning, there were these uh, female factory workers who were all getting sick from radiation poisoning. And, you know, they were using radium to actually like paint these watch dials, but they were also like painting their fingernails with the radium and they were painting their faces with radium and their teeth with it. And so some of them like, it's, it's horrific what happened to these girls, but they're doing it in the name of beauty. And we can't stop. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, we still today, we know when, when we talk about beauty and like the, I guess just the effort and the time that goes into it, you know, girls around mm-hmm. the world are rolling their eyes and like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a process, but we can't help ourselves. It's like an addiction, you know, it's, it's this thing that we can't get away from, even though we know beauty is pain, but we do it yeah. anyway. And these are even just the more Eurocentric versions of beauty. I mean, I didn't even get into Chinese foot binding and skin lightening and things like that, which, and skin lightening, I'll talk about a little bit later, is absolutely terrible. I'm, but you'll, you'll hear more about it later. Can't wait. Yes. yes. (laughs) Well, thank you, Emily, for that uh, intriguing uh, brief history of some of the beauty trends throughout the ages, um, especially the the hint at nipple piercings that I think just hopefully, you know, uh, piked your interest a little bit more to keep listening throughout because you you don't know what we might bring up here uh, just in a little bit. But um, Before we continue on, we're going to go to another commercial break and we'll be back in just a minute to contemplate and share our reflections on when was the first time we felt beautiful. Have you ever been curious about what makes a good leader or considered running or starting your own nonprofit organization? Whitworth University's Graduate Studies in Education, Administrative, and Nonprofit Leadership Program was designed for leaders ready to make a lasting impact in their communities. If you've ever thought about leadership or have aspirations of better serving your community, do us a favor and check us out online at whitworth.edu GSE. Welcome back. Um, So we are talking about the social construction of beauty. And before we go any further, we just wanted to take the time to kind of pause and reflect on when was the first time we felt beautiful. You know, I think while we're talking about the history of beauty and um, the social implications and Um, you know, essentially how oppressive beauty standards can be. I do think it's important for us to kind of pause and um, think about, you know, our relationship with beauty and in particular as uh, cis women who are producing uh, this podcast, when was the first time we remember feeling beautiful? 
And so in thinking about this question, I was surprised how difficult it was. Um, And yet what comes to mind when I think of perhaps maybe not the first time, but the time that I do feel consistently beautiful happens to be like, oddly enough, like first thing in the morning, um, like after a shower and there's just something about like, I don't know if it's like my eyes or it's just the, like the peace of like an early, like of an early morning, like waking, or it's just, um, there's just something about, I feel, I feel beautiful. I feel natural. I feel like a sense of peace and glowing within myself. And there's, I, I, thinking about when I look in the mirror and when I feel most beautiful, I think it's consistently first thing in the morning, which is kind of, again, it's like, weird it's probably after I brush my teeth too because it's a pretty great contrast between how I feel pre-brushing my teeth uh because I admit like morning breath is a thing and I can't stand it so like after you know a nice uh tooth brushing um looking myself in the mirror smiling at myself that's when I feel uh consistently most beautiful so how about you Monica that's actually funny because uh when we we were all talking about this last week and you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do the game where you say it. And like the first thing that comes to mind, that's what you got to go with. And the first thing that came to mind, uh, was when I was playing hockey when I was younger. Um, I wasn't like a super girly girl. I have an older brother who plays hockey. I like lived in his clothing and, you know, we were, we were broskies. And, uh, and I think the first time I felt really beautiful was actually like in my full gear and okay, I'm a goalie. So, um, you ever seen that like fat kid down at the end of the ice? That was me. I used to call it my sumo (laughs) suit. Um, but I just, I felt so like happy. I wanted all eyes on me. I felt good. I felt like I looked really cool and tough and, and that I think is the, the my first memory of feeling like I wanted all eyes on me. Um, wow! And it's just yeah, it's funny because then I thought about that story. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's really like beauty, <laughs> but um, but we'll get into more of why why that my instant reaction is a little bit messed up and chafed by social constructs later. Um, but I would have to say that that's that's my first story. All sweaty and covered in fifty pounds of hockey gear. How about you, Emily? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's kind of similar. I, I really feel most beautiful. And again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, as a kid, you don't really think much about it. You're just like, oh my gosh, you know, I love this outfit. I feel really good in it. And then you start to change and compare yourself to other people. So, I mean, really the first time I remember feeling beautiful was just, you know, me running around in whatever I wanted to wear when I was young you know, and then later on, it became more when I felt confident or like proud of myself for doing things. So, you know, I think about when I was in high school, and I was doing speech and debate, for example, you know, I would have days where, you know, I wasn't I I was really insecure in high school. And when I was doing speech and debate though, I felt I was doing well and I was getting like that affirmation from other people like, Hey, your arguments are really cool. Or I like the way you thought about this. And so that was when I felt most beautiful is when I was like, wow, like I'm, I'm really proud of myself. You know, I'm intellectually, you know, on the right track. And because I feel confident about what's going on in my head, I feel more confident about what's going on 
with my body as well. Um, and you know, that carries on too. you know, to today when I'm rock climbing or hiking or things like that, like I feel most beautiful when I'm like at the top and I'm, you know, like, Oh man, I did it. This is awesome. Like I feel so good right now. So. Well, I think that ties in perfectly um, with, you know, what our, what our guest is hopefully going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there's, we're already starting to see some trends here that, you know, we all <laughs> feel beautiful when we feel pretty confident. Actually, Candice uh, shared her story with us too. Um, and so she, she mentioned uh, going, her mom taking her dress shopping for her eighth grade graduation. So again, it's this moment of pride. You have this big accomplishment. Um, you know, you feel good about something that you've done. And now you get to kind of present yourself, you know, having done this. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we all have some some similar trends there. Um, but Emily, I'll pass it back to you so you can uh, bring on our guest speaker. Awesome. Uh, so just touching on our guest speaker real quick. Her name's Ashley Reynolds. Uh, she and I went to college together. I was her RA for a year and she is absolutely amazing. Um, she's actually going back to grad school fairly soon for her master's as well. So we really thank her for taking the time to help us out with this project as well. Hello and welcome back to Decon 101. I am one of your hosts, Emily Danko, and today we have a very lovely guest who I will let introduce herself. Hi there, my name is Ashley Reynolds. I am, I guess, a transgender woman, so I thought I'd give my experience. Yes, and we're very excited. So you already mentioned a little bit of your identity that informs your views on our topic this week, which is beauty. Do you want to expand a little more on that? Yeah, so I guess um, my experience with beauty is a little bit more uncommon because I didn't really grow up with a certain like beauty standard and I really had to develop it as I was developing my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it was a lot of when you're getting into transitioning and everything, you don't really recognize what you're going to be like on the other side of that transition, um, especially for binary people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not necessarily going to be this ideal beauty standard if there is one. Um, <laughs> you're not going to become like Britney Spears. You're going to become you um, mm-hmm. after your transition. So it's a lot of understanding your mix between mm-hmm. um, beauty and your identity and kind of how that co-mingles. Um, yeah. I love that you talk about that, like, commingling, because even people who are cisgender, meaning for people who are listening, cisgender means that your biological sex corresponds with your gender identity. So me, I am biologically female. I present my gender as female. Um, Even a lot of, like, cisgender people have to tackle that as well, because I remember growing up and thinking, oh, look at all these beautiful women in Hollywood. Like, I might look like them one day. And then I grow up and I'm like, okay, I am different than them. So I, I identify with that, like, oh, yeah, my, I may not look exactly like all these, you know, celebrities and things like that. So. Oh, and absolutely. They have, like, they have everything they need going for them. I, I guess beauty is, your appearance kind of really does give you a lot of um give off a lot of information Mm -hmm. to anybody watching and looking at you whether that information is true or correct Mm -hmm. um i guess 
if you are super healthy, people look well, healthy looking, people will assume that you're healthier. And if you spend a lot of time with like really nice clothes and dressing well, and giving your appearance, people might make those assumptions about having more wealth and being able to do that. And same thing with like makeup and same thing with like doing your hair. People mm-hmm. can see possible make assumptions about your hobbies and stuff mm-hmm. if you're dressed like a rock climber or something. <laughs> Some, so, something that we both have in common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of information you really can get from somebody's appearance, um, whether that is true or not. Um, and I think cultivating kind of what your appearance to everybody else and what kind of information you're giving off mm-hmm. is something a lot of trans people do really have to craft and um you really want to present your identity and your gender expression to mm-hmm. the world um that can be a lot harder mm-hmm. for i guess transgender people yeah. because um we're not i guess super capable of doing that mm-hmm. right off the bat you know yeah. there's a lot of money and time and there's always this awkward phase for a lot of trans people that are just mm-hmm. trying to wait until the hormones kick in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that takes like three months and sometimes that takes five years for mm-hmm. it to really kick in. So yeah. It really depends on the person. So one of the questions that we are kind of tackling for ourselves as the hosts, and I wanted to offer this question to you as well, what was the first time that you really felt beautiful? You know what it was? It was, it was Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, there was um my friend helped me get all dressed up and like I was basically wearing half of her closet throughout <laughs> that whole time um she helped me get all the makeup and stuff like that um and she did it really in my comfort zone mm-hmm. um and didn't stretch me too far that I got like nervous or anxiety about mm-hmm. it um but it was really this being with my friend her saying this amazing like awesome costume that like somebody could see um, me as beautiful and um, it was so I guess it wasn't like an everyday activity it was Mm -hmm. really when you are going out and trying to look a certain way Mm -hmm. you can really see how beautiful you are Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't know after that point I was able to kind of notice things about me that made me feel more beautiful not necessarily what society said were beautiful Mm -hmm. but I was able to see oh wow I really like how my hair is looking today Mm -hmm. I really like um how my skin's doing today oh Mm -hmm. I like this outfit combo Mm -hmm. um so it's not necessarily comparing it to other people it's kind of looking at what I enjoy Mm -hmm. uh, is what makes me feel beautiful yeah I I definitely identify with that statement as well it's like you can't compare yourself to anyone but you Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's really, that's really cool. I really, thank you for that. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about your experience with beauty or like your beauty journey? Um, I guess the thing I'd probably say the most is I think there's a huge part of how you appear is a lot of your confidence that comes through. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, back before I was able to present how I prefer to, um, I was I always thought I was good looking and confident, um, even when I was presenting as a male. Um, 
And so I was able to kind of really carry over this confidence when I was um, transitioning to appear as a woman. And so this confidence, um, I think, was able to really give me a kickstart whenever I was meeting new people. They didn't initially like see my, I guess, exterior. They kind of was able to see my personality more. And that's kind of what I enjoy people seeing is my personality. And that's kind of the appearance I want to give off is really who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, so just presenting your personality through, I guess, how you walk and how you talk and how you look. Um, it can be a mixed bag, but really figuring out what works for you is really the important part. Mm -hmm. And then if there was anything that you wish you could say to either your younger self or like young women or young men or young non-binary people like what would you want to say to them as they're going through as people are going through their own beauty journey oh there's gonna be one day where you're just like oh i am hot shit like damn i'm just walking <laughs> down the street like when you're younger and you aren't really happy with how your body looks and everything you never think that day is really gonna come but like i I don't know, every other day at this point, I'm just like, oh, wow, I'm freaking fine. Like, I'm just, <laughs> and I'm kicking it with my friends that, like, half of them are trans at this point. Um, and now that we're really embodying who we are after being transitioned for so long, we're, you're going to be really confident in who you are eventually. So, I don't know, it's just keep working at it, understanding who you are and kind of, I don't know, have fun with it. It's a really cool journey. It's stressful, but it's really fun. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. We're really excited that you were on our podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, so thank you so much, Ashley, for meeting us um, in the studio to to give us some insights. You know, we always appreciate having somebody who can really speak from a personal experience you know we all of course like to share our stories on here but when we're talking about you know our beauty which of course is tied to gender of course so that's where I immediately go but we have to you know make sure that we're inclusive here um, because we are trying to break down some of these social constructs where we think of gender and we think of you know there's boy and there's girl right well clearly that's not the case um, and I think you know we're seeing a lot of the same themes reflected here you know we're seeing the the thing that got me the most excited actually about what Ashley was saying is it made me feel better about my first um time I felt beautiful because she's talking about you know exuding a personality um and that's when she feels confident you know it's uh I loved her perspective on how our goal should be this aim to present a personality you know not an exterior that we've seen on somebody else that we like you know, um, and even when she's talking about dressing up for Halloween, it's not, she's not saying, you know, I got to emulate my friend. She's saying I, I got to, you know, work with my friend to emulate my personality, you know, to what I really feel inside and what makes me feel good. And, uh, and I just, I, I loved how it, her story made me feel more confident about my story. Cause I'm like, you know what? Absolutely. You know, the times, if you think about it, the times when you feel the best about yourself, is it really about what you're wearing or is it more about where you are, who you're around, why you're there? You know, Candace at her eighth grade graduation, is her, you know, is her confidence coming from the dress or is it coming from that accomplishment? You know, and same thing for each of us, you know, Michelle, the first thing in the morning, um, 
you feel natural, you feel beautiful and strong in that calm, that peace, right? It's not because of something that you're putting on yourself. Um, and I love that Ashley just laid that out so simply for us. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's perspective that's not often, um, I, I think, held, even though we talk about it all the time, like, yeah, you have to be confident, but it's like, okay, we'll buy a new pair of pants and you'll be more confident because your butt will look better, <laughs> right? That's, we kind of work backwards and we got to, we got to kind of rewind there a little bit and think about what needs to come first. Um, you know, so I think rather than, cause we always try and challenge our audience here. So rather than, you know, oh, if I feel a little bit down, let me put on an outfit that I like, cause that'll make me feel better. Instead of focusing our efforts and our energy on what we're, you know, putting on the outside, if we instead, hey, make an effort to smile at everyone you walk by in a day, and I guarantee you, you'll feel better and more confident. And you know what, you'll probably spark that in somebody else too. You know, it's these little things, but it's just where we're focusing our effort. And I think Ashley, you know, touched on that, like, try to present a personality, not, uh, not a look, you know, um, so I, I'm going to go ahead and, and hand it back over. Um, but I just, I really appreciate Emily having uh, Ashley come and talk to us because I feel more confident absolutely, already. Absolutely. Thank you, Monica. And again, thank you to Ashley and to Emily for your connections and um, for all of us really for, you know, being, being vulnerable enough to talk about like what truly makes us feel beautiful. And I think even this conversation, like getting to what you just said, Monica, like the root of like what is beauty to us um, really reminded me of some research I was doing around uh, the question of is beauty in the eyes of the colonizer? And so what does a decolonized understanding of beauty look like and what does that mean? Um, so I, again, just that, that connection and that question of, you know, um, what is beautiful, who gets to define that, how is that changing? And then also holding space for how is, how are beauty standards perhaps not in alignment with how we individually define ourselves as being beautiful. And as our conversation has evolved, it's really been rooted in like a sense of self and confidence and personal expression and um, the valuing of ourselves and our bodies and our faces um, and holding that they and themselves have value um, and are beautiful without modification. And so, and so this got me thinking also about um, some statistics that are a little troubling, but are very real um, around 90% of all women aged 15 to 64 worldwide want to change at least one aspect of their physical appearance with body weight usually ranking the high, highest. Now, this finding suggests that women's anxiety about their appearance is a global phenomenon. So like, let's hold that like for a lot of what we've been talking about has really been kind of from a westernized uh, American worldview historical context. But it's also important to recognize that like beauty standards, also colonization, like has a worldwide impact. And so how do these um, these anxieties, these body anxieties um, show up in women's particularly, but as we're as we're continuing the conversation, uh, all genders. Right. Um, it's more of a human phenomenon, even. Emily's first um, historical mention uh, was about uh, a Greek man, right? Um, and so I think what's also important here is not just this idea of body dissatisfaction, but what it, it causes um, in women. And what this study went on to show is that 
uh, body dissatisfaction actually prevents women from um, participating in life activities, um, such as um, giving one's opinion, meeting up with friends, exercising, going to work, going to school, dating, and even going to the doctor. And so like, let's sit with that. Like the fact that as humans, we have such um, a profound dissatisfaction with the way we look actually gets in the way of us actually living our lives. And again, the question is, whose standard of beauty are we measuring ourselves against? So again, I really appreciated uh, a podcast, another podcast that I came across, and y'all are probably really familiar with this. NPR's Code Switch is phenomenal. And like I said, they uh, really had a podcast that asked the question, is beauty in the eyes of the colonizer? And and through that podcast, they were really trying to explore um, like beauty, uh, beauty power back movement. So you think like the black is beautiful movement. You think of um, the body positive movement or fat affirming movement and how these movements really are reclaiming the narrative of beauty and creating space for all people of all bodies, of all uh, abilities to really have access to the concept of beauty, right? And that um, through the, the deconstruction of what we find as beautiful and the power of reclaiming that beauty standard, not only for ourselves, but how that gives permission for other people to, to reclaim their own um, ideas of beauty and really hopefully at the center see themselves. Emily, I see you have something you want to offer. Yeah. I, I, it's so good that you bring up this fact, this this idea that beauty can be in the eye of the colonizer, because especially as someone who's white, I didn't start thinking about this until I started teaching in a middle school with students from diverse backgrounds and learned a little bit more about what it's like for people who are darker skinned, people who don't look like this like Western concept of beauty when I was doing my research, you know, 77% of women in Africa and those surrounding areas lighten their skin. And for someone like me, I'm like, oh, okay, this is just like, you know, not going outside or, you know, wearing a hat or wearing sunscreen. No, this is people putting chemicals like bleach or acid on their skin that, that raises their risk for things like cancer. And so, you know, we think about women in the past putting lead and arsenic on their skin or painting their teeth with radium, people are still killing themselves for beauty today. Even, you know, in places like Korea, you know, they have the double eyelid surgery. I mean, you're permanently altering the image of your face to have a certain look. And so people are still going to these extreme lengths to try and correspond to this, this beauty ideal, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, it's their body, they should be free to do what they want with it. So you think about, you know, cosmetic surgery, or things like that, where people like split their tongues, or, you know, stretch their earlobes, you know, it, it's this weird line that you have to walk between, do we, re do we want people to be able to express themselves however they want? Or do we want to encourage them, you know, to, to not follow these Western beauty ideals, things like it's, it's such a weird line to cross because ultimately at the end of the day, like it is someone else's body. Right. And I think, it, well, and you said it perfectly there. It's, you know, do we, do we encourage people to 
express themselves the way that they want. But I think, you know, what we're really asking is why is it that they want these things? You know, is it because this is something that's socially constructed to benefit, you know, some people over others? Like, where is that motivation coming from? Is it coming from, you know, this, like, I don't like myself first thing when I wake up in the morning, because you know what, if you do, but then you go out in the world and you don't like yourself, you know, maybe that's a a different motivation um, that you need to pay a little bit more attention to. I think that's what we're, you know, really the that's what scares me the most about all these statistics you know I've been in kind of stunned silence here um but but I think you guys just you just touched on that perfectly um and that is what we're really asking I think too you know Emily and Monica to your point is you know where is the line of like individual expression and like you know socialized um you know expectations right and And so I think it's important for us to also hold that there is power and privilege in beauty. And, and so what does that mean um, when, you know, if you're not, if, if society and the power holders, power brokers don't consider you beautiful, how does that limit your access? And, um, and so again, so as we're talking about these social constructions, I think one of the things we continue to come back to is the idea of, of privilege, power, and access, especially when these constructs are being being created. And so that's what we're really trying to get here is encouraging asking of those questions, challenging these concepts. And as we're moving towards the end of our time together, we um, and again, as we're talking about um, access and privilege and power, we have the opportunity to also examine how um, beauty constructs are not only uh, racist oftentimes, but they're also ableist. And so we're excited to announce that um, for our next podcast, we are going to be talking about disability, the social construct of disability, and really getting to dive in um, into that. But as we, as we always do, we try to connect those intersections of, of um beauty and disability and money and time and so we're looking forward to to sharing a little bit more information with you next time thank you for joining us for decon 101